Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Silently praying. A woman in the UK is arrested not once, but twice for silently praying outside an abortion business. What she is saying about the arrest and how her lawyers are helping her through the legal battle. On the ballot, we take a look at how abortion activists are pushing their pro-death efforts in states that want to ban abortion. State representatives Jenna Powell of Ohio and Mary Elizabeth Coleman of Missouri have the details about ballot initiatives that could erase a lot of pro-life progress that's been made. Exposing Big Tech. Members of Congress are working to uncover big tech corruption amid the recent suspension of popular pro-life accounts. Representative Ken Buck of Colorado is the author of Crushed, Big Tech's War on Free Speech. He joins us to discuss how big tech corruption silences pro-life Americans. It's been a year since a group of pro-life activists discovered the remains of 115 babies killed by abortion, finding them on the back of a medical waste truck. The group, Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, or POW, is in our nation's capital hosting a week of action to commemorate the babies' lives. Five of the babies suffered severe injuries on the head and the back of the neck, according to Live Action. Former abortionist Dr. Kathy Altman says the babies could have been aborted late term or born alive and left to die. The baby's remains were handed over to D.C. authorities. At the time of discovery, pro-life Americans demanded answers from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser about what would be done with the remains. As of today, pro-lifers are still seeking answers. And in other news, lawyers representing a group of students announce a victory for their clients. The students were kicked out of the National Air and Space Museum for wearing pro-life hats on the day of the March for Life. The Smithsonian has agreed to abide by a court order which forbids their employees from harassing pro-lifers. And UK pro-life advocate Isabel Vaughn Spruce has been arrested twice now for silently praying outside of an abortion business in Birmingham, England. Authorities say Vaughn Spruce was praying in a zone where you are not allowed to express your views about abortion. All charges related to Vaughn Spruce's first arrest have been dropped, but on March 7th, she was arrested again. The same day, British Parliament voted to criminalize all forms of influence near abortion facilities in England and Wales. Spruce now faces new charges. Isabel Vaughn Spruce joins us now, and she is also joined by her lawyer, Lorcan Price, Irish barrister and legal counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom United Kingdom. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me. Talk to me about this second time that you were arrested. Can you explain what information you were given that assured you that you were within your legal rights to go back out and pray in front of this clinic? Yeah, thank you. So as you explained, um, I'd already been acquitted of um, any offence when I was arrested last year. Um, and I was told then that um, I was completely acquitted, even though I'd been arrested and accused of protesting and engaging in an act which was intimidating service users. And actually, at that time, the abortion centre was closed, so I couldn't possibly have been intimidating anybody. And I'd spoken to nobody and said nothing. Interesting. So when I was completely acquitted of that, I then went and did exactly the same thing again, i.e. I went and prayed silently in my head outside the abortion centre at exactly the same spot that I'd been praying in before. 
and I was arrested by six police officers who came with a police van to take me away to the police station. And I was told that my prayers were an offence. And when I reminded the police officer that I was silently praying, he just repeated even more emphatically um, that it was still an offence, even though I was just silently praying in my head. Mm. Unbelievable. And Lorcan, I want to turn to you. Does Parliament's recent vote to criminalize influence at abortion facilities change Isabel's case? Can, can you explain the connection, if there is one, between this vote and Isabel's second arrest? Well, the vote is very concerning development, but it's separate from Isabel's arrest. Isabel has been arrested under an existing piece of legislation uh, which criminalizes so-called antisocial behavior. And the authorities in, in many cities and uh, towns around the United Kingdom have decided that praying uh, in the vicinity of an abortion clinic is uh, antisocial behavior. What Parliament has done has gone much further. It has decided now to create a national zone around every place where an abortion may be available, which prohibits uh, the type of activity that falls under the definition of influencing. And we're still not clear as to what that means. And they rejected an amendment that certain members of Parliament put forward that would exclude from that definition silent prayer and consensual conversations between adults in a public place. So we're left with a situation now in England and Wales, and sadly we have other developments in Scotland and Northern Ireland, where consensual conversations between people outside abortion clinics or even in the vicinity of abortion clinics are, are a crime or will be when the bill becomes law. And uh, the existing laws uh, that Isabel have been uh, harassed under uh, are designed to prevent antisocial behaviour. But the authorities are behaving in an extremely abusive way, uh, defining uh, Isabel's totally legal uh, activity, which is upheld by her human rights, defining those activities as a crime. So these developments taken together are deeply concerning for fundamental freedoms in the United Kingdom. Mm, I think abusive is the perfect way to put it. Isabel, both times you were arrested, the police seemed pretty determined to catch you doing something wrong. The second time, they literally tried to tell you to stop thinking and praying. What's your reaction to that? And have any bystanders witnessed this and, and had any sort of reaction to it? It is very concerning, yeah. So, I mean, I know some of the locals in the area are actually the ones that have phoned the police to tell them that I've been silently praying there. Well, at least that's what they believe, because obviously nobody can know what's going on inside my own head. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it does really concern me, and it does sort of beg the question of who's intimidating who now that I've, I've been arrested twice um, when I've already been acquitted the first time. Um, and, and particularly concerning, since it's not even a, a freedom of speech issue, this is literally just my, my thoughts in my own head. I mean, the first time when I was arrested, I was quizzed as to what I was praying about when I was at the police station. That's what they wanted to know, which I felt was, was a real intrusion into my, my own privacy, my own thoughts that I was, I was thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Lorcan, I also want to ask you about the police who arrested Isabel twice now. Here in the United States, pro-life Americans are facing attacks from our own FBI and President Biden's government. Is this same weaponization against pro-life people happening in the UK, in your view? I think it is. And I, I think we have to be realistic about what's triggered this. The Dobbs decision um, overturning the, 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 the previous Roe versus Wade line of case law has had ramifications around Europe 
We've seen a number of aggressive moves in different European countries to introduce these censorship zones. Uh, you've described what's happening with the FBI in, in the United States, which we're following with concern. And then we see what's happening in the United Kingdom as well, where the pro-abortion lobby has been energized to bring forward ever more restrictive uh, laws into Parliament to essentially prevent the life-saving work that Isabel and others have been doing, both in prayer and counselling outside abortion clinics. Um, what it means, I think what Dobbs really has, has done is it has brought a, a counter-reaction, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that. I know you're talking later about other ballot initiatives that are going around around the United States as well to bring in more abortion. Um, this should be expected, and we did expect some degree of it, but what, what really struck us was the zeal and the aggression of the authorities as well, using existing laws and, and, and even introducing new laws to criminalise the type of totally peaceful and life-saving activity that Isabel and others have been engaged in perfectly legally in the United Kingdom for many, many years. Mm, yes, absolutely. Well, Isabel and Lorcan, we're so grateful that you joined us. Isabel, thank you for your courage. We're praying for you and for your whole legal team. Thank you so much. Isabel Von Spruce and Lorcan Price. And back in the states, abortion activists are attempting to wreak havoc in the deeply pro-life states of Ohio and Missouri. Planned Parenthood and other entities want to put abortion back on the ballot in these Midwestern states this November. Unfortunately, the abortion industry has been successful in using elections to ram through radical policies in states like Kansas, Kentucky, and others. In Ohio, the group Protect Women Ohio just launched a multi-million dollar campaign opposing the proposed constitutional amendment. Joining me now are two women who are personally invested in these states, State Representative Jenna Powell from Ohio's 80th District and State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman of Missouri. Jenna, let's start with you. Ohio has a heartbeat law on the books. Meanwhile, pro-abortion advocates want to put an amendment on the ballot that would expand abortion. So if this pro-abortion amendment were to be added to your state's constitution, what would happen to the heartbeat law and all pro-life laws in your state for that matter? Ohioans are extremely pro-life, and we were thrilled that in 2019 we passed the heartbeat bill. Um, the heartbeat bill says that at the time a heartbeat is detected, a child is protected in our state, and Ohioans were thrilled to see that go into effect. Unfortunately, if the ballot initiative and the constitutional amendment takes place, um, all of these all these laws would would be null, and unfortunately, uh, women would not be protected, and the ch and children would not be protected in our state. Um, the constitutional amendment is very, very liberal. It goes very far. It allows uh, abortion up until the time of birth. And that's not where Ohioans are. And that's not what we want to see for Ohio children. Mm. And Mary Elizabeth, Missouri currently bans all abortions, except when the life of the mother is at risk. Can you explain the status of the abortion measure that could potentially be on your state's ballot this year and what would happen if it somehow passed? Sure. So, Prudence, we don't know much about the group that's put forward the ballot initiative ideas here in the state of Missouri, but they filed 11 separate bills trying, I'm sorry, initiative petitions trying to undo the protections we have on the books. And what they all have in common is that they end the life of a child and they end the legislature's ability to protect children. Like Ohio, Missouri has been leading in the fight to protect the unborn, and this would undo every protection that we have put in place for women who are experiencing abortion. Um, 
I'm sorry, experience an unplanned pregnancy mm. and stripping parents away from parental rights to be able to have any say in the health care that their minor children are receiving. Yeah, absolutely. Well, both of these amendments or initiatives are very concerning. And you mentioned, Mary Elizabeth, you and Jenna are in some of the most pro-life states in the country, but we've seen pro-abortion ballot initiatives just like these ones advance in pro-life states before, such as Kentucky and Kansas. Based on the current landscape, do you think that these measures stand a chance? So the way that the Missouri 11 different ideas have been put forward, it's hard for me to see a path forward, but it's vitally important that we fight them at each and every step. Right now, there's a comment period on the Secretary of State's website. I urge everyone in the state to go to that website and file what would happen and to share the comments with the Secretary of State, who's responsible for writing the proposed language onto the ballot, saying, what would happen if we legalize these abortion procedures? And what would happen is parents would no longer have any say whatsoever in protecting their children and their grandchildren. Women would have none of the protections in place about informed consent, about making sure physicians would perform these procedures. So even before we enacted our heartbeat legislation in 2019, it would literally eliminate every single protection on the books. So these are just absolutely radical ideas, and it's vital that we fight them at every step of the way. We've seen, um, as the pro-life community, what happens, and we don't have an engaged effort to combat these terrible initiative petitions that are sweeping the country. Mm -hmm. And so I'm happy that you're providing a platform so people know what they can do, because there are things that can be done to stop this. Absolutely. And speaking of that, Jenna, in Ohio in particular, it looks like abortion activists are getting pretty close now to succeeding in getting this amendment on the ballot. What should pro-life Ohioans been, be doing right now to stop that? At the end of the day, Ohioans need to educate themselves on how harmful this ballot initiative is. A lot of people don't understand that it will be on the ballot in November. And what that means is that Ohioans will be voting on this. This is not the legislature. This is not your state representative voting on it. It is you, the people of Ohio. And as we know, Ohioans are pro-life. And so our urge as representative is for you guys to, to vote no on the ballot initiative and amendment because it would tie the hands of the legislature um, so that we can protect the unborn. Mm. Jenna Powell of Ohio and Mary Elizabeth Coleman of Missouri, thank you so much for joining us and for helping us learn more about these initiatives. God bless you. We're praying for you. Congressman Ken Buck is the author of a new book, Crushed, Big Tech's War on Free Speech, which explains how companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, and others have systematically censored speech that they don't like. Big tech and social media giants have a notorious record of censoring pro-life speech that now spans decades. Now that Elon Musk heads up Twitter, many are hopeful that there will be more transparency on that platform. But can one man fix decades of bias? Just weeks ago, president of live action Lila Rose's personal account was suspended temporarily. She is still seeking answers as to why. Joining me now is Congressman Ken Buck, author of the new book, Crushed. He represents Colorado's 4th Congressional District. Congressman, thanks for joining me. Talk to me about your new book and what you've uncovered about big tech. Yeah, Prudence, it's really interesting how uh, big tech has created a monopoly over the flow of information in this country. We all know that there were monopolies in the past on railroads, on oil, on banks, and, and those are dangerous. They, they are inefficient. They create more costs for consumers. But when you control the flow of information in the country, as these businesses do, 
you uh, control uh, elections or certainly influence elections and uh, public opinion. And these companies hate us. They hate pro-life uh, individuals. They, they hate uh, those of us on the conservative side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so they do everything they can to suppress our speech. And we can't allow that. And the answer isn't to have some government agency decide what's good speech or bad speech, because we'll lose in that situation also. Mm -hmm. The answer is to make sure that we have competition. We don't mind that the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal or the New York Post and the Washington Post disagree with each other. What, what uh, newspapers give us is a variety of, of, of uh, viewpoints and, and information. Uh, we don't mind in cable news when we have different news shows that, that disagree with each other because we get a variety of information. But when 94% of Americans search on Google, uh, search the internet on Google, uh, it's a problem. And, and Google controls through their algorithms the information that Americans get they don't like us. We shouldn't be dealing with Google or Amazon or Apple or Facebook. We should do everything we can to separate ourselves from those companies. Yeah, that's very insightful. And and what's your reaction specifically to pro-life accounts being censored and suspended? You know, there's a reckless pattern of this that goes back years. Well, it's it's because these companies decide what information can go uh, in, in what information people see. And, and that's really dangerous. As, as conservatives, and in fact, the old guard liberals, we all believed that more speech was better. If you disagreed with a pro-life view, great, offer your baby-killing view and we'll, we'll see who uh, the, the American public uh, agrees with. But the new left have decided that they have to censor speech, that they have to suppress speech, that they have to make sure that Americans don't see uh, the truth, oftentimes, because that truth uh, is something that undermines their arguments. And so they have to they have to keep that away from, from the American public. Mm. And Congressman, you've said many times publicly that for years now, you haven't used Google, you don't shop at Amazon, and you've turned to alternatives for those services. What's your advice to people who are really reliant on big tech that want to start moving away from it? How do we stop feeding this beast? Well, it's very difficult because when, when you have a monopoly on something, you, you control. And so you, you typically either have a, an iPhone or you have an Android phone. So you, you're going to support one of these companies one way or the other. Right. But you can do things on your phone. You can make sure that if you are using Google Maps or Waze, that you are uh, turning that off when you're not using that GPS system so they don't gather additional information from you. There are alternatives uh, to Google in, in terms of search engines, and we should be using those. Uh, as much as possible, try not to rely on something that's an overnight delivery, and a next-day delivery. Uh, do your best to go shopping at a brick-and-mortar store or use a different service than Amazon so that you can get your products without helping people who hate us. Hmm. Great pieces of advice. And, and can you talk to me about legislative and committee work that you're doing in the House to protect free speech and expose big tech? I mean, what's going to happen in the near future if we don't change the trajectory of this now? Well, it's, it's very dangerous. But what we've done in Congress, um, uh, we passed six bills in the Judiciary Committee. Nancy Pelosi refused to bring those bills to the floor because she's California, because her husband had invested in these companies, because some of her colleagues had children who were working for these companies. Chuck Schumer refused to bring these bills to the floor in the Senate because he has two daughters who work for these companies. 
because he has a financial uh, incentive in terms of campaign funds. Um, it's very dangerous, the power that these companies have in terms of how they use their money. There are many Republicans right now in the House, uh, even though we have the majority, who are opposing these bills because of the amount of money that these companies spend, $36 million in one month um, on, on campaign ads and other campaign uh, issues for companies who will do everything they can to undermine conservative views and, and the, our ability to get our views out to the public. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. It's a tough battle. We'll win it when the American people wake up and demand that members of Congress uh, uh, support competition in the marketplace and, and, and can create this free market that will allow companies to compete in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. Well, it's unbelievable what we're fighting on this front. We're grateful to you for exposing all of this. Congressman Ken Buck, thanks for joining us. God bless you. Thank you, and God bless you too, Prudence. Coming up, Planned Parenthood wants you to thank an abortionist as they celebrate those who kill the innocent. I speak out next. And we discuss the challenges Catholic college students face who are entering the medical profession. We speak to a defender of Catholic education after the break. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Planned Parenthood is working with Democrats in Congress to spread the lie that ending abortion is racist and that people who kill babies by abortion should be praised. That is this week's Speak Out segment. On March 10th, Democrat Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts introduced a measure in Congress calling for all Americans to celebrate, quote, Abortion Provider Appreciation Day. She called abortionists who make a living by ending innocent lives people who are caring and compassionate. What's more, Congresswoman Presley made sure to insult women by saying the following. Abortion providers and clinic staff help to ensure that all people who can become pregnant can make decisions about their bodies and their pregnancies. People like Presley who say they care about women's health can't even say the word woman. And in fact, they would have you praise the people who leave women hurting and alone. To add to the irony, Presley said that pro-life laws are racist when, in fact, Planned Parenthood facilities are strategically located in black and Hispanic neighborhoods. It's well known that Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger, was a eugenicist. Planned Parenthood leaders themselves have disavowed her. It's clear that Presley is desperate and will say anything to try and bring people to her side. It's our job as a movement to cut through the lies so that vulnerable women don't fall into the heartbreaking trap of abortion. And for this week's Pro-Life Focus, we take on an important question. How can young medical professionals prepare themselves to practice pro-life medicine? Just weeks ago, we saw pro-life doctors banned from a conference hosted by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. We increasingly see attacks against pro-life nurses and doctors who have a conscientious objection to carrying out abortions due to their deeply held beliefs. How is this impacting Catholic students who want to enter the medical field? Joining me now to help answer this question is Kelly Salamone, the Vice President of Newman Guide Programs at the Cardinal Newman Society. Kelly, thanks for joining me. Before we dive in, tell me a bit about the Cardinal Newman Society and your mission. 
Prudence, it's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me on. The Cardinal Newman Society was founded 30 years ago by our founder and president, Patrick Riley, to promote and defend faithful Catholic education. Uh, one of our flagship projects is the Newman Guide, which recognizes faithful Catholic colleges. Uh, more than 75,000 families use the Newman Guide every year to find a faithful Catholic college. And this year, we're also expanding the Newman Guide to include Catholic secondary, uh, elementary, um, Catholic schools, as well as Catholic graduate programs. Amazing. And and what are you hearing from Catholic university leaders in the wake of Roe versus Wade being overturned and many pro-life doctors being attacked? Are there a lot of students interested in the medical field, specifically in the Catholic world? Yes, there are many students interested in being our next generation of pro-life medical doctors, nurses, all different varieties of medical professionals, and we so greatly need them. Um, and the good news is that they are being formed and educated at faithful Catholic colleges. I think faithful Catholic college leaders are seeing a strategic action we can do uh, moving forward in a post-row world that we can graduate pro-life medical doctors and nurses and other professionals who, are, who know the church's teaching on issues like abortion, euthanasia, uh, sterilization, and are ready to live what they, what they know in their profession. Mm. And what are some of the best colleges, in your view, for Catholic pro-life students who want to be nurses or doctors? What should these students be looking for when they're deciding on a college? Sure. So I think they should go to newmanguide.org, check out all the faithful Catholic colleges that we recommend. More than half of them offer nursing programs, and many offer pre-med and other science programs. And there are a lot of exciting new offerings at these places. The University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota, is offering a tuition-free nursing academy for select full-time freshmen. Wow. Belmont Abbey College in Belmont, North Carolina, it currently has a hospital being built adjacent to campus, and so there's going to be a lot of collaboration uh, between the two. And since the hospital is leasing uh, the land from the Benedictine monks, there's going to be no conflict with church teaching there. Mm. Um, another great option is Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Uh, they've been preparing pro-life nurses and other medical professionals for years, and they just announced that they'll be uh, launching an independent medical school on Benedictine College's campus in the coming years. Wow, that's fantastic. So many great updates and advancements in this field. It's important and needed. I also wanted to ask what advice you would give to students who are weighing the importance of attending a Catholic college. You know, in today's culture, can you speak to how much students can gain from choosing to study at a place where their faith is going to be cultivated and prioritized in conjunction with their education? Exactly. I mean, the reality is that so many students are losing their faith in college. After college graduation, nearly 75% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the mm -hmm. Eucharist. Um, among American millennials who attend non-Catholic schools, only 5% of them are still going to mass weekly. Um, but the good news is that at a faithful Catholic college, you can be integrally formed in mind, body, and soul for this life and the one to come. You'll have those great science classes that teach you ethics, bioethics, the Catholic perspective on all these hot topics today. But you'll also get to benefit from everything these campuses provide, like you were mentioning, the strong sacramental life, daily mass right around the corner from you, frequent opportunities for adoration, confession. Uh, the opportunity to build good friendships, uh, experience that core curriculum, a whole campus life that really uh, holds up the dignity of the human person. And I speak from personal experience, use the Newman Guide myself, and now want other families to experience all that a faithful Catholic education can provide. Mm. 
and they can provide so much indeed. Kelly Salamone of the Cardinal Newman Society, thank you so much for joining us and for all the work that you're doing in this field. Thank you, Prudence. Keep up your great work. <laughs> thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.